Hello everyone, due to the length of this Moonstone special we've decided to cut it into two halves like we did with the Fru special. Each special will go for roughly an hour and a half. Uh, part two will be up sometime in the next few days, so be sure to head on back to chroniclechamber.com and check that one out if you enjoy part one. See ya! Hello everybody and welcome to the latest episode of Expand the Phantom Podcast, which this is um, an episode we've been wanting to do for a long time and it is our Moonstone special. So we'll be talking exclusively about Moonstone books, Phantom Comics this episode. And of course, with me as always is Jermaine Parker. How are you, Jermaine? Pretty good, mate. Pretty good. Good to hear you. Good to be back. Yeah, it's been a little while. I've been a bit crook and... Uh, you had some stuff on, and yeah, I went. I took my girls away for some holidays, much needed holidays and stuff. So, but we're back on board. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Steve couldn't join us this episode because he's moving house, which, <laughs> as everyone I'm sure knows, is a stressful enough job. And um, I think uh, last time we heard from him, his kids are still alive. Yes, he hasn't strangled anyone yet, which is always good. <laughs> right, right. Well, um, we've got a heap of stuff to cover this episode, so we'll just um, we'll get straight into it. So, as we said, uh, this episode is all about Moonstone Books, the American publisher who started publishing The Phantom uh, in 2002. Uh, they're a small U.S. company based in Chicago. They originally launched in 1995 and, as I said, began printing uh, Phantom stories in 2002. And The Phantom was, at the time, and I think has been since, their most successful series ever, or series of books ever, as they did several. So what we're going to do is we've kind of broken up each uh, thing they did into into groups. So we've got the first lot of graphic novels they released, the second lot of graphic novels, the two ongoing series, and then, of course, all the other um, stuff as well. So we'll go through those one by one. Depending on how long this episode goes for, we may end up breaking it up into two parts like we did with the uh, Fruit special. But we'll just see how we go. All right, so um, may as well start at the beginning, which is, of course, with the graphic novels. Moonstone released um, graphic novels before they did the ongoing series. So there was five in total. These were The Ghost Killer, The Singing Web, The Treasure of Bengala, The Hunt, and The Valley of the Golden Men, all released between 2002 and 2004. Um Jermaine, did you get these as they came out, or did you get them? Um, yeah, I did actually. Yeah, I got um, them. I got them later on in the uh, the Phantom Ghost Who Walks trade collection. Okay, well, no, I got them. Three anyway. 
I got them as they went on, and I, I must admit, I really enjoyed the uh, first, well, the first two especially, mm-hmm. um, like the Ghost Killer and the Sting Web. Um, yeah, I don't know, I just, I just really enjoyed, enjoyed the whole series, to be honest. Like, it, it, the Ghost Killer, or was it the Sting Web? No, the Sting Web was the um, one where it was like 1936, and and the thing that gets me with these stories is that they're a classic fan. You got um, you got the hero, you know, who's having wise, you know, wise cracks at you know in the face of danger. You've got stunning women, um, you know, strong women in involved in the story and stuff like that. So it was um. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed the um, the series. Yeah, it, it was it was a great um, couple of first issues, as you say. I love. I think my favorite of all of them, though, are the ones written by Ben Rab. He yeah. who also wrote for for Egmont. His stories just have that that humor and that wittiness that you mentioned. Yeah. And the Phantom always looks like he's enjoying himself. And even while, when he's getting his butt kicked by a girl. Yep, even when he's getting his butt kicked by a girl. Um, but it's great. There's a scene. I'm just flipping through the trade now. Um, and in the story, the Sing Web, there's a scene where um, someone is killed at like a sort of a gala, I guess you call it, a fancy function. And the crowd, of course, starts panicking. And the Phantom is trying to catch um, the, the killer. And a big fat woman who is looking for um, a way out gets in his road and... Well, the results are quite humorous. I don't want to spoil it for anyone that hasn't read it. But just these kind of really silly little jokes that would be out of place in a more serious story work really well. It's almost got that Indiana Jones, James Bond type feel to it. Yeah, but it's still still very serious. It's not like it's a slapstick, you know, comedy. It's like it's serious, but it's just those subtle hints of like, you know, of that humor, which just I don't know. It was. Ben Rabb is definitely a talented writer, um, and you know you can tell you can tell he is much sought after by by some of the work he's done on the Phantom. Yeah. I would say that his Moonstone stuff is probably better than his Egmont stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if that's because he's you know writing more for an American audience rather than a. Um, uh, European audience, or or whether you have more freedom, or, or whatever. But uh, I must admit that I prefer his um, Moonstone stuff over the Egmont stuff. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, it's interesting because we should mention that Moonstone, um, for a long while, had a Phantom advisor who. Um, Basically, they would write the scripts, and I think the art, they'd do some of the artwork and show it, send it off to their fam advisor, and their advisor would send them feedback as to whether they felt it matched up with um, what traditionally would be considered, uh, I guess you'd say, true Phantom, um, uh, maybe not true Phantom story, but the feel, the atmosphere of the book, uh, and the first... the Phantom elements and stuff in, in, involved. Yeah, it made sure it felt like a Phantom story, and the first uh, Phantom advisor, I believe, was Brian Sheridan, who um, yes. r- ran the Deep Woods website, um, but he and Moonstone parted ways around the time of the second ongoing, and then Ed Rhodes took over, but I'm pretty sure that for these early uh, books, um, Brian was, was still doing it. 
Yeah, yeah, I believe so. I don't, yeah, I think he was halfway through the, the first series. But to me, you know, Moonstone probably didn't pay anything and they probably didn't have to do anything like that either. But it just shows that they had the right attitude to take on a character like the Phantom. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, interesting because when we were talking about Hermes press, we talked about how much care and stuff they obviously put into the books on the Phantom they were doing. And I think Moonstone did just as, had just as much care and respect for the character. But some fans would get up in arms about it because it was a little too modern, I guess. Like, um, for example, in... Uh, the Ghost Killer, there's a big, huge motorbike scene towards the end, and it's very action movie, Michael Bay kind of stuff, which, you know, it works really well, it's great, but um, I think that sort of thing might have might have rubbed a few people the wrong way. Yeah, you know, but then they need to just read their Falk stories and realise that Lee Falk did did it several times as well. I remember a couple of stories where um, one was the the terrorists or something, which was in the early 90s, and then there was another one in the mid-90s where, you know, he goes along the lines of, oh, sorry, here, I need something faster and quicker, and he you know, jumps on his motorbike and, and goes off as well. So if Lee Ford can do it, I'm sure Ben Rab, ben Rab can do it as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, we should also mention that each of these graphic novels are self-contained stories. They don't continue one from the other. Um, there were little hints that they might continue on, but I don't think from memory that any of those threads were actually picked up um, <coughs> Excuse me, in subsequent graphic novels or the ongoing series. Um, what do you think of the artwork in these? Um... Lou Manor and uh, Blankio, who did the Ghost Killer and the Sing Web, and Lou Manor did the Hunt, um, really enjoyed their artwork. Um, the artwork for the number three, which was Treasure of Bangala, was was good. Um, it wasn't anything spectacular, um, but the value of the Goldman was a little bit, I don't know, what's the best way, a little bit scratchy, a little bit sketchy mm-hmm. um, for my liking, but... To be honest, that story was probably one of the least favourite out of the whole Moonstone um, uh, series, all of the comics that they've produced. But in saying that, I liked um, a couple of little Easter eggs where they had, like, um, was it Captain Horton or or someone who who, who came back? Which, of course, Um, is the leader of the um, Juggle Patrol from the Phantom movie. Yeah, and it was good to see Diana, and you know Diana played a um, a uh, what would you call it, a very positive, a very uh, prominent oh, aspect of the story or something. So you know, it, it was good. It was a, a passable story. You know, um, we, we've seen worse from <laughs> from Dynamite, from um, from Egmont, and, and and stuff like that. But it just wasn't as good as some of their other stories. No, I agree with that. I'm just um, looking through, like I said, I have the trade collection, and it's interesting because you kind of look at, um, oh, what's the first one? You look at the Sing Web, and it almost looks and feels like a period piece. And then you go to um, the Treasure of Bengala, and it's probably, well, looking looking at some of the helicopters and, and vehicles in there, it's probably very much a modern story, but it's also very yeah. much a jungle story. Um, 
so it's got that sort of Cyberry Lee Fork period feel to it. And then you skip to the Ghost Killer, and it is incredibly modern. Like, you've got huge high-tech weaponry. You've got, like I mentioned, the big motorcycle chase at the end. Um, the feel of it is very modern with the um, villainous... Uh, the beautiful villainous woman who is very much like a Bond babe. Um, you've got the Michael Bay action scenes. It's it's an interesting how they've, you've got three different sort of, mm. I guess, takes on the character, but every single one of them just works brilliantly. Yeah. Is the Singweb uh, the 19th Phantom or an ancestor, or is it just kind of not really... Um... I don't think it's really mentioned. I'll give it a quick flip yeah. through. Uh, it's set in 1936. So that could be that could be the first. It doesn't actually mention. So in theory, it should it should really be um, the nineteenth fan. But it, and I think it's a good way because in that way you're not really um, you're not really. Oh well, here's a picture of the Phantom, and he's on a black horse. So that would have yeah. been our Phantom's grandfather, I believe. Yeah, which would be yeah. the nineteenth. And I'm, yeah. I'm assuming there's probably no uh, wolf running around either. No, there's no wolf. Which was one thing that really that really bugs me is that you know artists do they do a bit of research and they go oh Phantom's got a wolf oh every 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 Phantom had a wolf and it's like oh no not really um, <laughs> well at least they got the horse right he's not always white yeah so. exactly so yeah so I guess it just goes to show you know whether they originally had the wolf and you know Brian you know pointed it out or Brian mm. made sure that they were aware of it or whether you know Ben Rab who is knowledgeable enough regarding the Phantom and all that, pointed it out and mm. had put cues in or not. Whatever it was, you know, it wasn't a simple mistake like that. So yeah. that's that's a, a big tick in my in my oh, opinion. I agree. Um, so we should probably mention the the last two uh, graphic novels of the the first se- series. So um, there's also the Valley of the Golden Men and the Hunt. Um, I got these in their original release, so just their original one-off graphic novel, not a trade collection. I've got to say, I didn't really like either of these, which um, is a bit of a disappointment because The Hunt is also written by Ben Rabb, but I felt that it didn't really work. And um, The Valley of the Golden Men is uh, written by Tom DeFalco, who is um, a long-time writer for Marvel and DC. So he's got, you know, a lot of experience there, but maybe not necessarily with with the Phantom. But I just I just felt neither of these stories really worked. They're not as strong as the first the first two or even the third three, um no. which you mentioned before. Um I thought the hunt had potential. Um like it's a great concept, you know, the Phantom, you know, fighting someone and stuff like that. But uh, uh I don't know. It, but you know, they can't they can't all be hits. Yeah, that's true. And and there's something weird with the artwork in the hunt. It looks like the inks have been put on too thick or something. They're the really thick outlines, and it just looks kind of muddy in places. Whether that's yeah. an actual inking issue or a printing issue, I'm not sure. But Lou, it was Lou Manor. Um, I personally quite like his style, mm. but um, he, I think he's a bit like Don Newton. You either you either love him or you don't like him at yeah. all. Well, it's interesting because Lou Manor wrote, bo- uh, sorry, did the art for both The Hunt and The Valley of the Golden Men, but they're incredibly different styles. Yeah. I think there was a couple of other guys that helped out with the Valley of the Golden Men. Like, oh, okay. I'm looking at the credits on uh, Phantom Wiki, and there's, you know, Art Nichols and Terry Pollot. So yeah, I don't know whether 
don't know whether they helped out whether Lou Mano had a step aside or whether they helped out with the... According to the um, book itself, Lou Manor did the pencils, and then the inks was Art Nichols and Terry Pollock. So inks can change um, yeah. things a lot. And according to the hunt, it just says Art Lou Manor. So maybe for that, he inked himself. Yeah. Um, but, you know, of course, we can't 100%. Just speculation. Uh, yeah. Um, but what would you say for anyone that hasn't read these? you reckon they're worth tracking down? Especially... I think they are. I think all of the Moonstone stuff, especially, you know, the, the first graphic novel, probably all of it, to be honest, is worth tracking down. And the good thing is, is you can pick up the trade paperbacks for a good price. Yeah. Yeah, um, exactly. Like I said, you know, the first two are probably some of the best stories, you know, The Ghost Killer and The Sin Web. If you like classic fandom, a modern fandom, but still has those elements... I think you will like these, uh-huh. those two stories. The the next story are a bit hit and miss, and I think you only like it if you like a certain style or something. But the first two, are, the first two are great. The first two, you know, I remember reading it. I remember picking them up, and I'm going, "Oh, this is good." You know, this, you know, back in 2002, and it was like, you know, I really enjoyed it. I think I've been reading the comic, uh, the comic series, uh, the Phantom for about, oh, probably about six, seven, maybe eight years by then. And, um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, well, I think probably for a lot of us, I know particularly, uh, myself and you and I started reading around the same time, so it could be similar. This was probably the first proper crack at a Phantom series or bunch of series that an American publisher had because we had, um, we had Marvel do their mini-series when, around the time the movie came out, and previous to that was, of course, um, DC and, and Wolf, but the Wolf was in the UK. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think this is, like I say, probably the first real US ongoing and, you know, like I say, decent crack at the Phantom. Yeah, the DC, the DC had 13 issues, and then they had four, I think it had four issues, and then 13... Mm. Which the Luke McDonald one, and then it ended off with the wedding. Yeah. Um. But, um. But yeah. I. To be honest, apart from um, what would you call it? Uh, the King Charlton and stuff like that. This is really the only um that was the next you know the next ongoing series with the ongoing publisher who actually stuck through it. But, you know, DC... Um, Excuse me. Um, you know, DC kind of gave up the ghost pretty quickly. You know, no yeah. pun intended. <laughs> yeah, they did. They did. Um, right, well, let's uh, skip over from the graphic novels to the ongoing series, because there was more uh, graphic novels, as we mentioned, but they came a little bit later once the ongoing series has started. So... Due to the, success, to the success of the graphic novels, which were um, quite successful, more successful than I think a lot of people had anticipated, um, Moonstone began an ongoing Phantom series in 2003. Now, interestingly, Ben Rabb, who wrote some of the graphic novels, was originally intended to be the series writer, but for unknown reasons, whether it was work commitments or personal commitments, we're not sure, he was unable to work on every issue. So due to that... Um, the series became kind of like a continuous group of smaller stories that would go for an issue or two, which would in them have a little bit of 
interconnecting um, story, but not a whole lot. So they were basically, for all intents and purposes, um, <coughs> excuse me, for all intents and purposes, self-contained until we get to issue twelve, in which Mike Bullock. Uh, takes over and becomes the ongoing series writer. So that's at the point where the series becomes a true ongoing. Uh, that was issue, issue 17, sorry. Oh, 17. Oh, is it 12? Oh, Tiger's Blood? Yeah, no, yeah. I think you're right, sorry. Yeah, I did my research. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, it's Tiger's Blood, uh, issue 12. So, yes. Well, actually, there is an interesting story connected to that, but we'll get to that when we get up to that issue. Um, the series concluded in 2008 with issue 26 and then would relaunch the following year as Phantom Goes to Walks, but we'll get into the relaunch a little bit later. Um, we'll discuss the first series first. Um, so the very first story in the uh, in the ongoing series is called Stones of Blood which uh, is written by Ben Rabb again. So as you can see, he's quite prominent in, in Moonstone's collection of books. This is uh, kind of, I guess you'd call it, a classic phantom tale. There's a diamond mine that some nefarious ne'er-do-wells are controlling. They're using child labour to get the diamonds, um, and the villains want to use the proceeds that they make from these diamonds to control world governments. And, of course, the Phantom steps in to save the day. Now, we can't really talk about these terribly well without spoiling some of the um, things that happen in the issue. So if you haven't read any of Moonstone or you're really keen to and you don't want to be spoiled, it might be a good idea to skip this until you do. Um, so, like I said, most of the stories are broken up into two parts. Now... This first interest, uh, issue is interesting because, one, it really establishes what Moonstone's Phantom is going to be like. He's going to be a lot more... Well, maybe a lot, not a lot more action-y than we, than we traditionally know him as, but the action is very much front and centre. Um, he dives into action, I suppose, more readily. In some of the Fork stories, he says, um, you know, I'm don't really like violence. I use it as a last resort. But in the Moonstone books, you get the feeling that, no, nah, he's going to get in there and have a good go, and he enjoys but doing it. With this story, you can kind of, you know, not wanting to give it away, but you can kind of understand why he's, you know, gone a little bit, you know, a little bit angry and wanting to hurt someone and, and stuff like that. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. It isn't action or violence for action or violence sake but it's very much turned up to 11 when it does happen they haven't pulled out many stops as far as the um yeah but when you're taking on terrorists and you know yeah. people smuggling diamonds and stuff like that you know you, you can't really um you know can't really go soft on them you, you gotta hit them you gotta hit them hard you so because uh, this it was an ongoing. I remember the forums when all these all these stories came out, especially the one where um, uh, not wanting to jump ahead a little bit, but um, issue fifteen and stuff when um, uh, the Phantom's auntie gets bashed up and stuff like that. Yeah. I, I remember people's comments about this. You know, just that story in particular, but all of the stories. Mm. I personally think it was a little bit over the top. Yeah, like, I, I should probably re uh, rephrase and say that it's not... I may be making it sound more violent and stuff than it is. It's not so much that. It's more that the action is done 
in a very, very action adult. movie type way. Yeah. It's a, it's very adult in this. All of the stories are very yeah. you know then then they're not they're not uh, they're not very you know. They're not something that an eight-year-old's going to read and enjoy. They're something probably, you know, a little bit older. They're a little bit grittier. They're a little bit darker. They're, they're dealing with real issues. They're mm-hmm. dealing with a real Africa, you yeah. know, not this uh, Hollywood version that you kind of get in some of the Egmont stories where, you know, um, you know, it looks like the Bahamas or something where, you know, where there's no corruption and stuff like that. Um, so... I, I enjoyed the series. Like one and two, it was great. Three and four, you know, uh, I really, really enjoyed the different take on the, on the thing. Um, so you know, I can go through them. There was probably only a couple that I wasn't really sure about. Well, well uh, sorry. All right, no, we can go through them individually if you want. Yep. Well, I thought we'd just do a quick overview of each story, but I just want to mention this first issue particularly because, like I said, it sort of sets up what Moonstone's Phantom's going to yeah. be. Um, so we talked about the, uh, the action just then. So, yeah, you have this really hard and heavy action, but on the same hand, you have this brilliant co- uh, sense of humour. So you get to, I think it's page three, and the Phantom does one of his classic moves of taking out uh, one of the villains by wrapping him up into a jungle vine and pulling him into the trees. And um, the villain say, says, someone's in the trees. And his mate re- replies, who, Tarzan? And then this voice from nowhere answers, Tarzan's a fictional character, gentlemen. And you turn over to the page to this giant two-page spread, and we find out that the voice belongs to the Phantom, and he says, I'm a jungle legend, there's a difference. <laughs> and it's just, like, you read that, you just go, yeah, this guy is awesome like it really made the phantom feel cool not that i ever felt he felt he was sort of silly or anything but it really does do that and there's another page further into the same issue where um the baddies are in um in maui town in bangala and the phantom phantom goes chasing after them on hero and there's this one page almost poster of the phantom jumping over a bunch of cars on horseback and it's just it's just brilliant stuff yeah, and then you have the the scene where he's at the hospital, and it was just that real human touch to it. Yeah, I don't know if that was in the first issue or in the second. It's issue. in the second. So but yeah, you, know, you have those contrasts, and yeah. like when he's throwing the knives, and he says, "You know, I want to get my point across," and you know, it's, it, I I really enjoy it, and I guess it echoes the comments we had about Ben Rab before. Yeah, exactly. And actually, it's interesting that you mentioned the um, the knives because that was one of the first things that caused controversy. People got on the forums and complained that the Phantom doesn't have throwing knives because he has two here in the book. He doesn't have throwing knives. He's only got the one in his boot. So people didn't like that, that he had an extra knife stashed away somewhere. I know his utility belt, eh? Yeah, which was a bit silly. So um, something... Drastic happens to one of the major characters uh, in this story, and that is, of course, a cliffhanger for part one, and then we go on to part two, and it's much of the same. More action, more cool Phantom stuff, um, and, of course, more comedy, and it just kind of keeps getting better. The Phantom gets a bit roughed up. He doesn't come out unscathed, which I thought was a nice... Nice. Uh, Good to see him get his butt whipped occasionally. Yeah, he's, you know, at the end of the um, issue, he's sitting there with, with one of the other characters and his face is all bandaged because he's been bashed up. And there's even a little comedy moment for Kit and Heloise, which, which I thought was nice. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, having having a go at mum and dad having a smooch at the end of the book. Hmm. So, yeah, it's cool. No, it was, it was a great start. Yeah, it was a really good beginning. I thought three and four um, was just as good. Mm-hmm. What did you think of the artwork? Because I think, I think again, it was very hit and miss. Of issues two and three? Three and four. Ah, okay. So three and four, issues three and four is Curse of the Phantom. This is also by Ben Rabb. Um, and the art is by Nick Darrington. Uh, to be honest, it's not a style I'm particularly fond of. I don't think it's bad, but, you know, if I had a choice sort of thing, I probably wouldn't choose this art style. But it's, it's very much serviceable to the story. What are your thoughts on it? Um, it's very... It reminds me a bit of, like, Archie, like, especially with the eyes. Mm. Um, but I, I thought he did... He did quite a good job in... Because I, I was, I was, when I researched a bit of him, a lot of his stuff was a lot more light and fluffier, and you can kind of see that in some aspects of his artwork. Yeah. But he, he managed to capture the darkness of the of the of the two part series, you know, battling the Wessico uh, giants and stuff like that. So I thought he did quite a good job with that and he had some really big um there was some nice action scenes, uh, you know, when Diana's, you know, trying to beat up the Wessica, you know, and then you've got at the start of issue three where um you know, the Phantom takes on a couple of the uh, a couple of the guys and you know and gets his butt whipped again and stuff like that. So I, I thought he I thought he did quite a good job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. So we should um, probably explain that the storyline basically behind this is the Wasaka Giants, who uh, were the tribe, as I'm sure everyone knows, that were tormenting the Bandar when the Phantom or Christopher Standish was first washed upon the shores of Bengala and became the Phantom. Uh, there were some of those uh, members of the Wasaka, or Wasaka, I'm not sure how it's actually pronounced, uh, tribe remained rather angry at the Phantom for doing this, and there is a certain family of Wasaka who has taken it upon themselves to basically kill the Phantom, re- exact revenge. And the story sort of follows several generations of Phantom and how they've all come across the Wasaka demons trying to trying to take them out. So while the Phantom has his legacy and his lineage of defeating evil, the Wasakas have their own of trying to defeat the Phantom, which I thought was quite an interesting um, take on that whole thing, and it's kind of surprising that no one's ever thought of that before. Yeah, um, I think, again, it just echoes that Ben Rab, Ben Rab or Rab or, or however you want to say it, um, he knew he knows the Phantom. Yeah, definitely. He, um, I remember in an interview, he said that his first introduction to the fandom was the Billy Zane movie, and that he enjoyed it so much that once he landed, he saw it on a plane flight, and he enjoyed it so much that when he landed, he sought out as much fandom stuff as he could. So, obviously, the um, the movie inspired some greatness, regardless of your opinions on it. Because <laughs> <laughs> we know some people aren't fans. <coughs> Excuse me. All right, well, let's go on to issues five and six. So I think, for me, these two issues are the biggest drop in, I don't want to say quality, but the biggest misfires, I guess, in the in the first series. Um, it's called The Damnation Game. It's written by 
Raphael Nevers, I think it's pronounced, with art by Jerry DeCare. I just, I really did not enjoy this. The art is just weird. Everyone looks I don't think most people enjoy it, to be honest. There's a scene where Devil looks the same height as just as a human. Um, I know wolves are big, but that's just silly. You see the Phantom's eyes through the mask. His face looks all... Yeah, it's just bad. <laughs> it's just so bad. So we'll just skip that one and keep going then? Yes, I'd, I'd skip that one. Um, yeah. The next two issues are more by Ben Rab and Pat Quinn. Some more great stuff called The Aviatrix, and this is basically the return of the Sky Band. Uh, the Sky Band has modernised and gone all sort of tech-savvy and decided to come back and get their revenge on the Phantom. And there's some some nice uh, character play between the Phantom and the members of the Sky Band, of course, having such a long history, and then a special guest appearance by none other than Salah towards the end. Um, I love this story. I think this is one of the best things Moonstone did. Yeah, Especially with issue seven, because you've got that awesome cover as well. Yeah, that's probably my favourite cover of all the um, Moonstone books. We should mention too that uh, for a long time, um, pretty much up until the second series started, and even a little bit after that, um, an artist by the name of Doug Kaluba did all the artwork for Moonstone. If you haven't seen it, um, at least Google it and check it out. It's all beautifully painted. Um, if you're into comics at all, you might know the name Alex Ross, who is a very ultra-realistic artist. Ben, Klu- uh, sorry, Doug Kluber is very similar to Alex Ross. Reason for dead. Yeah, personally, I prefer um, Doug's stuff because I find some of Alex's the characters look kind of dead. It looks very much like you know they're, they're a painting. They're not a painting with any life in it. Where Doug seems to achieve that life really well. So, yeah, great, beautiful stuff. Absolutely beautiful. And, um, of course, the, being written by Ben Rabb, there's a fair bit of comedy and, and stuff in there as well. And he tends to have, like, strong women as well. He does. He has very strong uh, female characters in all of his stories. And um, he plays... There's always that trope in, in Lee Falk stories that all the women fall instantly in love with the Phantom. And, um... Very Lee Fork, isn't it? Yes. Yes, but in this, Ben Rabb actually plays around with that and kind of makes fun of it a little bit. Which yeah. is Which is good. Because not all of them fall in love with him. Most of them just want to kick his head in for the most part. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's great. It's great stuff. Um, moving on to issues 9 and 10. We have uh, The Slave Trade, part 1 and 2, which was written by Chuck Dixon with art by... Eric J. This is, um, I suppose you would call this almost uh, ultra-realistic art as well, but to the point where it gets a little bit creepy at times. Um, but that's just my opinion. So this is another sort of classic Phantom story about bad guys using diamonds to and slave labour to meet their nefarious ends. Um, I thought this story was all right. It wasn't brilliant, but it wasn't terrible either. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a good sold story. Yeah, it does come, though, which I think is in the second part, if I'm looking, if I'm remembering correctly, um, in issue 10, which has another gorgeous Doug Kluber cover. Um, 
has one of the scenes that was very controversial of the Phantom flying. Now, somehow certain people got the idea that the Phantom was flying in this issue. I don't really know how they got that unless they didn't read it properly. What's happening is there is a um, car chase. And the Phantom is on one car, and another car is, of course, chasing them from behind. And the Phantom propels himself, because it's a ute, propels himself off the back of the first ute towards the following ute. And, of course, he is, for lack of a better word, uh, jumping through the air. But because of the movement of the cars, the cars are, of course, you know, he's, of course, going to meet the car at quite a great speed. Um... So he positions his body so he can easily land on the car and take out the baddies. For some reason, some people seem to uh, read this as the Phantom was flying. So that's just one of the many controversies that Moonstone stirred up. We had a momentary flying Phantom there. <laughs> well, it's nothing worse than what we've had in Defenders of the Earth with you know supernatural power that comes from you know ten or in some instances seven tigers. So yeah. Some um, people just have to have something to complain about. Yep, that's true. Uh, it just amazed me, because if you actually read the issue, you can tell exactly what's going on. But anyway, I think people, like you say, just like to complain a little bit. Hmm. But um, yeah, it's an, it, was a good enough, it was a good story. The art is not my favourite, but it's not terrible either. So yeah. Yeah, it's pretty good. Right, well, let's move on. So we have issue 11. Now, this was the last issue before the series became a proper ongoing. So this is also written by, <coughs> excuse me, Ben Rubb. And it, I've got no idea how you pronounce this. Nanamura. Oru. Nanamura. Yeah, yeah I've got no, no idea. idea um, I actually enjoyed this story. Yeah, this is a really good story. It kind of just... I remember it just kind of snuck out and then all of a sudden it was released and it was like, oh, it's out. And it, it didn't get much fanfare or anything. The cover's brilliant. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's a good, solid story. Oh, you know, I enjoyed it, but a lot of people didn't seem to enjoy it, you know, remembering back to the forum where basically, you know, we all lived on the forum and, you know, liked to have arguments and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's... Funny, it's one of those things where people that love it just keep going on and on and on about how brilliant it is, and everyone else just kind of ignored it or forgot that it was there. Because um, I remember a couple of people singing its praises back in the day, but like you say, it didn't get a lot of attention at the time. Yeah. But it's a great sort of um, father and son and daughter story, because Kitten Halloween's caught up in what's going on and the Phantom of course has to come and rescue them and it's just it's just a really fun again of, it's very forkish yeah it is very Lee Fork type story um, and I love at the end where, you, where we cut back to the skull cave and Diana's fallen asleep and the skull thrown I thought that was that was great um, but yeah it's, it's a really good story so and it's just a one and done it's the it's just a one off issue so I think occasionally it's good to have just those you know, one one part stories. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have to wait. You know, two months for the next part. You can just kind of deal with it and have a bit of fun. And yep, totally agree. Right. Well, let's move on to issue twelve. Now, this is the very first issue that Mike Bullock 
uh, Red, and when he stepped in as continuing ongoing writer for uh, Moonstone's Phantom. Now, Mike Bullock did some wonderful stuff in his time as writer as of the Phantom, but these two issues, in my humble opinion, are terrible. <laughs> yes, but, you know, one, it was, you know, like you said, it was the first time he's done it. You've, if you looked at, you know, remember we had, um, oh, what's his, uh, Philip Madden on the podcast a couple of podcasts ago, and, you know, he basically agreed as well that his first story wasn't his most favourite or his best either. So yeah. I think... Uh, you know, I think you got to cut the creators some slack when it's their first story. Yeah, and there was some troubles behind the scenes. Um, the colorist, I think it was, made an error. So halfway through the first issue, two of the characters swapped names um, because the letterer, you know, thought one character was the other one based on the colors of the clothes they were wearing. Um, but also in a interview with um, Mike Bullock, he said that this was originally when he was commissioned to write the two, the two stories or this story that appears in these two issues. It was only supposed to be those two um, issues, and that was it. But as he was writing it, Ben Rab said he could no longer do um, the series as an ongoing. So Moonstone asked Mike if he'd like to step in. Mike said yes. But he wanted to carry on, you know, make it feel like a proper ongoing. And obviously to do that, you have to have elements of the story carry on from one issue to the next. So he had to basically scrap the first half of the story's script and rewrite it, which is why the second half feels really... The second half's by far the weakest, um, and that's why the second half feels really kind of wonky and, and out there, because you're basically trying to... Yeah, he's basically trying to build up um, the backstory for uh, his original character, whose name I am Manuel Ortega, I think. Yeah, Ortega. I, I must admit, I, I, I couldn't. You know, sometimes you get a villain and it's like, oh, I like this villain. He's, you know, he's he's a good villain. He's, you know, you can create lots of stories around him. Yeah. Um, I, I must admit, I, I got over, I got over that guy. And I kind of wish we never saw him again. Yeah, I've I've got to admit I agree. Um, I can completely understand why Ben Rab did it. It serves a lot of purposes. You have an ongoing villain because at the end of the story, he gets brutally mutilated, which he blames the fan of for. So you have a reason for him to want revenge. Um, you mm-hmm. have a character that's carrying on from story to story, and of course, it's leaving um, your own sort of mark, your own character within the Phantom Legacy, which every creator wants to do. They want to leave their own mark on what they work on, which yeah. is completely fair enough. Um, but I just think because of all those things that happened behind the scenes, it really did affect the story. Like you, you, It's easy to understand what's uh, happening as far as Manuel is concerned and why he hates the Phantom the way he does by the story's end, but the story just feels so disjointed. And it's about drugs as well, and the Phantom gets injected of these drugs so there's a few trippy scenes and, but they just don't kind of work um, even though they're supposed to be trippy and I don't know I just I didn't like it very much at all um, mm. but that's my my opinion some people did but that's yeah yeah but um, then we go on to issue 14 and things 15 pick, 
Yeah, so fourteen fifteen. The next, um, the next story is called Walker's Line, which three guesses what that's about, um, and things start to pick up. The story is a lot better. Mm. Um, you can see that Mike's definitely trying to make this a, a nice ongoing. Um, there's a little bit of, uh, what would you say? Uh, I suppose gang violence in here, which um, I think upset a few people at the time. Oh, very upset, especially Cover 15. Yes, Cover 15 is, basically, if you haven't seen it, it's a very nice image, the artwork's great, but it is a picture of the Phantom getting the hell beaten out of him by chains and baseball bats, and as he's getting hit, there is blood spraying out from his mouth, which there would be if you were getting hit by that. A lot of people found that cover offensive, because it is, you know, quite violent, um, at the time it was done, it was probably quite a shock because um, you have to remember if if you're a person like me that reads um, a lot of other comics besides the Phantom, you need to sort of remember that a lot of Phantom fans don't read other comics. So the violence on the cover of this, while it might be tame compared to some uh, DC stuff and not so much Marvel but DC and maybe some image things, There'd never been anything like this on the Phantom, on a cover of a Phantom comic. Nothing this mm. brutal, anyway. And even the interior um, action is quite, quite strong. So, um, yeah, this is when the the worry about the violence sort of kicked in. Yeah, but to be honest, it's probably not much more than the stuff before, like with the first couple of stories and stuff. No. And I think also, if you look at the art style, the art itself is a lot just because of the way um it's a lot more gritty Carlos Mango draws yeah it's a little more it's a lot more visceral than the more sort of cartoony illustrative stuff that we've had from say Pat Quinn who is a lot more like a Saturday cartoon type style not there's anything wrong with that I love his work but this is a lot more it's a lot more lines a lot more um stuff going on on the page yes but the story I thought I enjoyed the story yeah, the story is really good. It basically talks about gang violence in um, Mauitan. I think it's Mauitan, or is it? No, no, no. no it's, it's back in Wal- okay. Walkertown, or That's right, Walkertown, where he grew up. Where he grew up, yeah. So he goes. the Phantom goes back to his to his childhood. Yeah. Um, I think that's right. Yeah, he goes back to Clarksville, and he finds that the, the town has been troubled by this violent gang. So, of course, he decides to um, sort him out. Yeah, Clarksville, Missouri. Is where it mm. takes place. Um, so a very violent gang has started to harass people on the street. So the Phantom sorts them out, and it is—it's kind of a commentary on gang violence, on society, and all um, all that sort of stuff. But yeah, just the violence got to people. Which there's a lot of that in Mike Bullock's. There's a lot of underlying, um, you know, truth about society in yeah. his stories. You know, you had the drugs in twelve, thirteen, and then you've got street violence and mm-hmm. you know, in fourteen, fifteen, and then of course you've got um you know, the invisible children in later on and stuff like that. Yep. So we're actually almost up to invisible children. Um, oh sorry, don't no, that's alright. That <laughs> that's right, we've got one issue and then we're there. So but I want to um talk specifically about issue sixteen's cover for a moment. Now, Moonstone copped a lot of flack a little 
especially once the second series started um, from, from a few people, due to the amount of variant covers they released. However, issue 16, its regular cover is just black and white line art. And I don't think from memory there was a variant cover for this issue. No. So the regular cover is black and white art line art, which is generally um, on, a, on a variant cover. Variant covers usually have the black and white stuff. I thought this was brilliant because I remember when I went into the comic store to pick it up, it really stood out amongst all mm. the, you know, the colourful comics um, that were on there. This is, you know, it was very different and the artwork's quite nice. What did you think of it, Jermaine? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm the same. I thought it was it was great to kind of um, break it up. Like, I wouldn't want it for every story. No. Um, but, you know, for, you know, for a once-off, I thought it worked quite well and it's, it's nice to kind of have a little bit of a, um, you know, something, something different, something, you know, yeah, like I said, it stands out like, <coughs> you know, I'm just looking at all the covers right now on my computer, and you're having all these great, you know, beautiful, colourful images, and then you're having these black and white ones, and it's like, oh, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. So, um, this is... And I think it's intentional, I don't think it's... Um, I don't think it's uh, a case of, you know, the cover artist falling behind schedule and didn't get around to, you know, putting the colour in. No, no, I agree. I think they've done it very much intentionally. And and it's a wonderful cover. It um, would be great as a, as a poster or something like that. Mm. So, yeah, it's, it's really nice. And if you can track down the issue, it's worth getting just for the cover, I think. Um, but this issue is quite interesting because it is actually a continuation of sorts from Lee Falk's uh, Carell's Good Mark uh, story because it's all about the Phantom's Good Mark and they mention um, Car- uh, Carlisle, sorry, not Carell, Carlisle right at the start of the issue and then the young girl I be- that the issue centres around, I believe, is his granddaughter. Um, I'm just trying to find where it says... But it's basically Mike Bullock revisiting what the good mark means because it hadn't really been shown in um, the Moonstone stuff up to that point. So it was it was nice introduction to to fans that may not have read much fandom previously, um, mm. which you know was quite possible given that his popularity wasn't as big in America as it is here in Australia or in Europe, uh, in Scandinavia. Sorry. So yeah, I, I quite enjoyed this story. I thought it's it was a, good. It's a great setup for what what was to come. Yeah, yeah. And exactly. I love the bit about um, how she's trying to run away from the native, the natives, and you know, thinking that they're trying to harm her, and then it's like, um, actually, no, they're trying to rescue and help you. Yeah, it's a great, and like even the cover kind of plays on that because the cover. You know, shows them as these, you know, half Neanderthal, you know, ape like men and stuff like that. I thought I thought it was done quite well. Yeah, and and something which I only just noticed, which is really clever, um, in the artwork when they're showing the flashback to Carlisle, and they show the good mark. It's got the handles of the cross swords facing toward each other. And then when you go to modern day, where it's Carlisle's daughter, 
the handles of the cross swords are facing away from each other clockwise, which is how the good mark is drawn now, as opposed to how it was drawn originally. So they've actually got the two versions of the good mark in there, which I think is a really mm. neat little neat little nod to the to the past. I didn't notice that before. So this, we should also mention, this is the first issue that's drawn by, and I'll probably completely ruin his name, but Sylvester Civilagi. Civilagi? Yeah, something like that. Something like that. Who became pretty much the regular artist on Moonstone's um, ongoing series. And I'd say he was picked because his style, particularly when he draws the Phantom, is quite reminiscent of Cy Barry. Yeah. So I'd say that's why he was chosen... Um, but his artwork's quite nice, so... Yeah, it, it, it is, and um, it, having the same artist, it kind of brings a con- continuit- continuity to the, to the stories and that as well. Yeah, exactly. Right, well, let's move on to issue um, 17 and 18. Now, this, uh, as Jermaine, excuse me, mentioned before... Oh, sorry, it's, it's 17, 18, and 19, this story covers um this is called the invisible children and as jermaine mentioned before this is what the previous story is leading up to this is um kind of what mike bullock or the beginnings of what mike bullock really wanted to do with his phantom run and that is tackle issues that were happening in real world africa at the time that he was writing these stories so the invisible children is all about um militia groups kidnapping children and basically training them at a very young age to kill uh, mercilessly and turn them into soldiers and uh, there is an actual real world group uh, charity group called invisible children who fight for the rights of these kids who get caught up in these horrible wars so rather than fight poachers or discover lost cities or you know fight sort of more more i guess um, exotic villains like the Sing Brotherhood of the Sky Band, Mike Bullock had the Phantom battling villains that are in, you know, the real world. They still had a bit of, you know, superhero fantasy stuff tucked in there, of course, because the leader of the, um, I guess you'd call them terrorist group that the Phantom fights is known as him. Literally just him, because they all view him as a god. Um, so there's kind of still that melodramatic element to it but the idea behind it is very much set in the real world um i think these stories were were brilliant and they definitely raised a lot of awareness for the issue i'd never Mm. heard of invisible children until these issues came out yeah it was um i'd heard of it but i hadn't you know like um what would you call it you know, you heard of it, but it wasn't it didn't really, really impact you or register, yeah. And, you know, I think they even did like, some of the money that they made from it. I think it might have been from the variant covers. Yeah. Actually went towards the organisation and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they had several variant covers for each issue, and um, I'm not sure if all, but definitely a, a portion of the sales of those covers went to the Invisible Children Foundation. Mm. And there's some quite horrible scenes in here like they show the the terrorists brand, beating up the kids and and you know branding them and you know how they break them down so they'll basically become zombies and follow whatever they're told to do but the fact that it's in there the fact that the brutal just makes 
it all that more powerful because you know it's based on a real mm. on a real situation. And there's a bit of a write up in the um, back of the book about the invisible children and what they what they fight for. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. So that invisible children art goes over issues uh, 17, 18, and 19, and um, they're, they're all really good. And him becomes a, the character him becomes a big part of my Bullock stuff going on from there. He crops up a couple of times. Um, he, he kind of takes almost the place of Manuel Ortega, Jermaine's favourite character. <laughs> um, although Ortega does pop up towards the end of issue 19 as well as the Sing Brotherhood. So my Bullock um, sort of ties all these things together. So he doesn't just go off on tangents, he does tie it all together, which is really great. Um, skipping to issue 20, things are a little bit different. Uh, it's a historical story, so a bit of a um, calm. Did you like this one? <laughs> yes, I did really like this story. I love the artwork. The artwork is by a bloke called Zoo. Um, I'm assuming that's his, his artist name, not his real name, but it's it's beautiful artwork. Um it's the, I want to say the 17th Phantom. I'm just trying to find it. A 13th Phantom, sorry. 13th. And it's, you know, it's set on a, on a sailing vessel. It's got all the pomp and circumstance that they had of the upper classes back in the day. It's got the beautiful woman in there. It's just a great sort of swashbuckler tale. It's great stuff. Yeah, no, I enjoyed it. It was, um... It was fun. It was, you know, lots of action, and it was it was good. I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. And, there's and it was... What I liked about it is that there was a nice balance between current day and then historical stories. And then it was like, you know, you had you had this, you know, three 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 story arc. And then you have a then you have more of a, a it wasn't a fun story, but it was more light hearted. It was more of a traditional fandom story where, you know, it's not as hardcore. And, and so yeah. it was a nice, nice break-up. I thought they did quite well with that. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's, it's a great story, so pick it up if you can. Um, I think most of these are collected in trades. I think all of them are, actually. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they are. Um, so moving on to issue 21, we have another very nice black and white cover. See, I didn't like this one as much. I quite like this. Uh, I don't think it's as powerful as the previous one, but I think... the 16 had a lot more blacks. Yeah, yeah. Where this one... Uh, it looks a lot more like line art that hasn't yet been coloured. Yeah, or inked. Yeah. Where 16... So this is where I think 16 worked quite well because black is very powerful, as, mm-hmm. as you would know as an artist. Yeah. Where 21... Well, I, I don't know, it just it doesn't have the same impact. It's just as much of a, a great action scene where the fans busting through, you know, on a Jeep and stuff like that, but it all kind of gets lost because the blacks don't isolate and darken and highlight the the elements. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree. Um, so this, this is actually the longest story arc that Moonstone did. It goes over five issues. It's called Checkmate, and it picks up more or less straight after the previous um, Invisible Children story arc. So it's it's 
we've come from the, you know, had a bit of a break. We've had the nice sort of fun, relaxing historical story, and now we're back into the more solid, hardcore stuff, I guess you would say. Mm. Um, we're back to terrorist-covered Bangala. The Phantom's still fighting um, the people that are making Africa a horrible place to live in. But things, of course, take quite a turn for the worst when him, um, the Singh Brotherhood, Manuel Ortega, and um, one of the guys from an earlier story uh, all joined forces to bring basically the United Nations down, which means they end up killing or possibly killing Diana. Um, So not only does the Phantom now have to protect Bangala and Africa from the terrorists, it's also been made very personal for him. Um, so while it starts on that quite personal note from the Phantom, we still have the very uh, powerful stuff about the you know the slave children and what these you know th- some of these um, horrible warlords and things do to to the people of their country. And again, yeah. again, it's quite powerful stuff. I think it's what we've kind of already discussed where, you know, you're dealing with um, real issues, um, you know, Africa, this is what a lot of places in Africa is like, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's real issues. And, and, and let's be honest, a lot of people, especially in, in America and probably even as much in Australia and a lot of other places, a lot of people don't really care about Africa mm. because there's no oil there. Yeah. Um, you know, like if 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 there's stuff happened, you know, if there's stuff that happens there that happens in you know the Middle East, they would be all over it. Or if Africa had had oil, you know, they would be all over it. But it, you know, a lot of Americans and let's be, you know, Moonstone was developed for the American audience. You know, really don't care about Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, no. That's and true. And so it. It highlights what it is all about. Like, you know, you're having, you know, dictators cropping up. You're having uh, people trying to take over other countries and assassinate presidents. And, um, you know, the UN or the people that are trying to make a difference are targeted and, uh, and stuff like that. And, you know, then you've got, you know, some, some crazy white guy in a purple costume trying to make a difference. It, yeah. it, it's very powerful stuff. It's, it's, it's very high, high octane, high action, high. You know, it, it's good if you haven't read it before. It's good to get them now because you don't have to wait a month for two for each <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, Moonstone did have several very bad um, delays between issues, which really took some of the fun out of it. But um, mm. yeah, being able to well, read them all in yeah. one go is is a lot better. So two things I want to ask you. One, what is your opinion of uh, the cover of, of 25? Yep. The nice wraparound. Mm-hmm. And then the second question is, is what are your thoughts about the whole bad guys coming together as one against the Phantom? Okay, well, we should uh, mention for those that may not have read it, pretty much every villain that has been... That in the past appeared, 20 in, issues. Yeah, in the past 20 issues, particularly the Mike Bullock and Ben Rabb stories, come together to try and take out the Phantom um, in this issue, in issue 25, which is the big uh, p- penultimate issue for the series, but the conclusion of this particular story arc. Um, 
so you have the Singh Brotherhood, you have um, uh, that warlord, what's his name, Gutala? Ali? Ali Gutala, Gutala or something like that, his last name. Um, you have Manuel Ortega, you have uh, Gutali's girlfriend, who was like a psychopathic Egyptian-like woman. Um, you have, I think, is that all of them? Or have I covered them all? I think that's it. So uh, yeah. then you have the secret. Then you have the backing, of which was the Loki or the. Uh, um. But yeah, it was yes. a lot. There's a lot of bad guys in there. Let's just put it that way. Um, I, to be honest, I liked it. I I don't mind a good. You know, you raise the stakes that high that it seems impossible, and the hero has to, you know, find some way of of getting through it, and it leads to things happening in the story that you don't expect. Um, like, for example, earlier in the story arc, there is an attempted assassination on President Luaga, so Bangala is not the strongest it's ever been. So Ivory Lana comes to back them up. Now, we'd never seen Ivory Lana um, in Moonstone's books before that point. I don't mm. think he, they might have been mentioned, but I don't think we'd actually seen them. Um, and for those that may not know, Ivory Lana is one of the bordering countries of Bangala that's actually friendly. So unlike Rhodia, they actually um, mm. they're actually friendly. So Ivory Lana rocks up to help out Bangala, which was quite the surprise when when to, reading it. To me, I liked it because it was kind of like it almost wasn't wasn't the Phantom who rescued the day. It was Ivory Lana. Yeah, and it, the Jungle Patrol. Mm-hmm. So that that was that was a nice little twist, you know, you know, because like you said, it was almost to a point where the fan couldn't do it on his own. Yeah, you know, he was outnumbered, outgunned, you know, and so and it, you had a friendly nation and the jungle patrol. Yep, and Sala even turns up to lend a hand. Mm. It, yeah, it was kind of that thing. There's always been that that line in Phantom comics: the Phantom works alone, but. It was nice because it showed that there is some predicaments where you just got to get help. Even someone <laughs> as powerful as the Phantom, you know, you've got to pull all your mates together. You know it's a bad day when you got to ask for help if you're the Phantom. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Maybe that can be a new old jungle saying. <laughs> yeah. But no, it was, it was really good. It was really good. I really enjoyed it. Mm. Um, what did you think of it? Yeah, I'm very the same. It was... It was it was good, and then it was like you know you're reading and you're thinking how's the fan going to get out of this one, and then it's like oh yeah, Ivory Lana, Jungle Patrol, oh, that's a good idea. I didn't think of that. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it all works within the Phantom's world. You know, the established mm. lore and things, which is great. Um, and the cover. What do you think of the cover? I really like the cover. I I like the wraparound. Um, I think Doug did a brilliant job of it. Um, it would make a great poster. What do you think of it? Yeah, again, it was probably I probably preferred the Avery 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 Yeah, Aviatrix, the first part. That was probably my favourite cover. Yeah, that's my favourite too. Um, and not just because it's you know got a chicken the background and skin tights, um, but you know it, it is a great cover. Um, mm. But this is probably you know one of the one of its better ones as well. Yeah. I agree. Now, Moonstone did something kind of interesting. This was the end, the last issue, 25, was the last no, part. No, I'm getting there. Oh, 25 okay. was the last issue featuring the big uh, Checkmate story arc. It was an extra-sized is issue. Everything 
blew up, everything was, you know, all action-packed, and you would think that would be the perfect place to end the series. But no, we got one more issue, which is issue 26, as Jermaine says, and it is another historical story. Um, And like the previous historical story, it's, you know, a bit more relaxed, a bit more laid back and just kind of fun. It deals with slavery um, on the high seas. You have the 13th Phantom and his busty wife again coming to save the day. I think they were, to be honest, I think they were all, I think all the women were busty in those days, mate. Yeah, it's the corsets, that's what does it. <laughs> that's why you like that era. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, which, this is nothing against the story, I think the story is great, I really enjoy it, the cover's great, the artwork's great, everything about it is great, but it just, and it's it's really interesting because you have um, sections where it's the modern fandom, and then of course it flashes back to the 13th. And for the section of the modern Phantom, you have Sylvester illustrating, who, of course, is illustrating the ongoing series with the current Phantom. And then when it's talking about the 13th Phantom, you have the artist Zoo doing the artwork, who, of course, did the artwork for the previous historical story. So it's kind of clever how they've, how they've done that to tie it all into each other. But the part that I found interesting is they use this as the last issue of their series. Like, you would think it, you would end on that huge, explosive ending with Checkmate. So yeah, people would you, go, oh, we could out on this story, wouldn't Well, we? not necessarily. This could be, you know, issue one of the new series or something. I just well, found... Issue one was total, was, was different. How, you know, it, was it was different, yeah. So, in my opinion, well, this is, this is how it played out, is they got... They got it, and then they were, you know, had the two historical stories, and then they were so excited about Checkmate, and then, you know, they were excited about, you know, rebranding, and we'll talk about the rebranding to the next series and stuff like that. And then it was almost like, oh, what are we going to do with this story? Are we going to put it in the new series? Are we going to do it as a standalone? And it just made more sense to stick it as number 26. Yeah. Well, that's, you're probably right. It just seems a, I don't know, it just struck me as a funny issue to end on. Not that. Um, I think there's anything wrong with the issue at all. It's just most things when they end, they end on this mm. huge explosive story. But anyway. So, before we get on to the second... Oh, so... Um, before we get on to the second second series or, um, or the next plot, what did you think about the concept of stopping at 26 and then going back to number one? Um, I don't think they needed to do it, to be perfectly honest. No. Um, the reason given um, by Moonstone, if I remember correctly, is they wanted to focus a lot more on the stuff that's happening in current day Africa. So the more real world based stories. But the problem was they'd already done that very successfully yeah. in the first series. So the only reason I can really think that they may have definitely done it is that this series was quite popular at the time. Um, it was getting a lot of positive uh, press in the comics media, and issue first issues, so issues with a one on them, sell a hell of a lot of copies, and people are more likely to pick up issue one than issue twenty-seven, because if they see twenty-seven, they go, oh well, I've you know I've already missed twenty-seven, uh, twenty-six issues, I'm not going to start reading it now. But if they see issue one, then they go, oh great, I've heard this. You know, the previous Phantom series is really good. Maybe this one will be great too. So, and it's, you know, a brand new story, so I won't have to catch up on anything. So, so is that what Free should do? Yes. Um, <laughs> not, well, not necessarily, but I think 
although they said they wanted to concentrate on certain types of stories, I think it was probably more a marketing. Yeah, I think it was more of a money. Else. It was yeah. more of a money making scheme. Yeah. I don't think it worked though. I think it broke the uh, continu- uh, continuity. Continuity. Um, yeah. And they yeah. also released that zero issue, which. Yeah, I loved the zero issue. Yeah, which got um, everyone caught up on the Phantom um, Legend. Yeah. So, you know, that was good for new readers. So it was obviously very much done for new readers, I think. Yeah. I guess it makes sense. Like, personally, I think that Zero issue probably should, could have even like worked as a um, as like a, a free comic day comic, yep. like what Hermes did this year. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know everyone loves a free comic, and that you know would have been exactly. a great a great concept for that one. Yeah, it's a shame um, that uh, Moonstone didn't take part in any of the free comic day comic book day stuff. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I don't know. It just to me, it broke the success that they were building up. Yes. Um, and in hindsight, with them now, with them losing the license and stuff like that shortly afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. It is, it is kind of interesting, isn't it, that it was only, was it like 12 issues from the reboot, um, or maybe it's 13 if you count the zero issue. Um, yeah, 13 issues if you count the zero issue, and then they lost the license. Mm. So I remember they lost the license a long time before they actually stopped yeah, publishing they did. The, the, the series as well. They did. So yeah, it is. It's kind of strange. I don't. I don't think they should have done it. Like like I say, whether it w- helped them or not um, monetarily is one thing. But I think, like you say, it did break the mm. flow of the um, of the series, which is a shame because it was going. It was going well. I think it did start to lose it a little bit towards the end, though. Yeah. But we'll get to that as we get to those issues. Um, so, like we said, it started off with with uh, issue zero um, for the new series, The Phantom Goes to Walks, which does basically a recap of Christopher Standish crashing onto... Well, not crashing, but getting chucked over the side of a boat and um, getting washed up onto the shores of Bengala and taking on the um, role of the Phantom. Then there's uh, two brief pages that show various Phantoms throughout history. Um, You have the first Phantom, then you have the Phantom that got Alexander's Diamond Cup. Um, I love that. Yeah, Yeah, it's really cool. Probably my favourite, one of my favourite comics out of the whole Moonstone, just that that, that one. It, It was brilliant. Yeah, it was really good. Um, what else have you got? You've got, uh, I think that's you got special. Julia Walker, which was an interesting concept. Uh, they, I think they showed, did they show the 17 Phantom twice, or did they show the 17 Phantom as Julia? I can't remember. No, I can't, can't, can't quite recall either. We'll have to find out as we go along. Um, but a lot of sort of very famous and well-known Phantom stories are, are depicted in this. You've got... Like I said, the goal, uh, the Diamond Cup of Alexander, you've got, um, oh, I can't think of the, the name of that demon. That's really bad. You've got the slave trade, the slave traders of, uh, Mukar. You've got Julie, like, um, Jermaine mentioned. You've got the cowboy phantom. Um, you've got the 21st phantom taking the oath. Um, and then, of course, it shows the last picture is the current phantom with Di- Diana Garan. 
kit and Heloise, and then you've got a lovely splash page at the end. So, it's, and then they give you a bit of a um, character overview of the, the sort of more prominent characters in the story. So it's it's quite it's quite a good little issue, especially for a dollar ninety nine it costs. So what's that about three bucks Australian? Um, issue one of the Phantom Goes to Walks deserves a special mention because one of its variant covers was drawn by the great Cy Barry, which was quite exciting for a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, yeah. I must say, none of these stories were, were really stood out to me. It was... And maybe this is why I think that this series didn't work, but I don't know. I don't don't, don't know. Mm. Yeah, it's not... I was going to say it's not the most memorable thing. It is... I I do remember the stories. I remember things that happened. But, yeah, I agree. Something was definitely lost in, in that time between the previous series and this. Um, so this first issue and the following two issues are all a story called um, End War, which, again, like we said, follows on about um, current modern-day dramas. So this one uh, is kind of about terrorism. It starts off actually as a, as a pirate story, interesting enough, but it's a modern-day pirate, so they're armed with AK-47s and all that sort of thing, and, of course, Diana is stuck in the middle of it. But um, the overarching story is basically a terrorist story. So you have the Phantom fighting a bunch of terrorists and they blow up a plane and try and take out a whole bunch of people. Um, But yeah, I don't know, there was something... Oh, and the Phantom gains himself a tech guru, um, which I found somewhat awesome. (laughs) Yeah, I, I enjoyed that. I enjoy the fact that, you know, you've got that. And I think we've talked about it when we were talking about the uh, King issue one as well. Yeah. About how Lofa had a little, you know, little sidekick, kind of like the comedian, funny guy. Yeah. Like a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, series and comic books seem to have these days. You know, that worked quite well. Mm-hmm. And the stories, like, the stories were solid. But I don't, I don't know. It kind of... I don't know. It wasn't as good as the first series, in my opinion. No. Um, one question I have for you. What did you think about each of the Phantoms' speech bubbles having a purple outline to them? Uh, to be honest, I, I can't remember. I don't remember it when I re-read these stories. Okay, well... So it obviously didn't stand or seem that important to me. Mm-hmm. Well, um, for those that haven't seen it yet... Uh, you may notice when you read comics that if someone's um, screaming or saying something loud um, or they want to emphasise something, that the speech bubble will be encircled in usually a red border. Sometimes they use different colours to indicate different things. In this, um, they've encircled each of the phantom speech bubbles with a purple border. Um, now, I took this to sort of indicate the power of the Phantom's voice, because he's always said to have a very powerful voice, you know, as soon as you hear him speak, you stop in your tracks and you listen to what he says sort of thing. So that's what I I took it to mean that, but I don't know, it felt a little bit gimmicky as well. I know it seems like Mm. a strange thing to sort of nitpick on, but 
Yeah. I don't know. It's a bit it's a bit strange. I found it a bit weird. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I guess we'll just talk about the next issue. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um so we go on to the third part, which yeah, pretty much like the the previous ones, these fighting the terrorists. The Phantom gets strung up at one point on a crucifix, which is always fun. Um and the terrorists are at least stopped. Maybe the war's not won, but he, he stops them at this point. And, yeah, I don't know. It just felt, as much as it was important, the stuff it was talking about, like you say, Jermaine, it just didn't feel as well put together. And I have to say that in this series, I felt that um, Sylvester's art started to slide as well. Or maybe it was... No, it was his art, because there's no inkers, so listed. I think the covers kind of failed a bit as well. Yeah. Um, I enjoyed the the two-part cover with five and six, mm-hmm. and the art on seven, but um, for the regular issues, but a lot of the a lot of the um, covers, I don't know, they weren't as good as the first series. No, no, the, the, it, things definitely started to slide um, at this point, I felt. Um, well, anyway, let's move on. So we have um, issue issue four, which is a standalone story. Um, different artist this time, though. David um, Michelini, I think his name is pronounced. Uh, the story is called The Chase. And, well, it's pretty self-explanatory what it's about. Um, a guy steals some stuff from the Phantoms after him to get it back. It's not a bad story by any means, but it's very different to the sort of real world things that we'd been sort of led to believe they would be talking again, about. It's good to have a, a lighter story thrown in because you've had End War Part One, Two, and Three, which is you know gritty, mm-hmm. and then you have the chase, and it it follows. It does follow the formula that they were that they had success in with the first series of having you know invisible children and then having the historical story and then having the you know the checkmate and then having the historical story again. So it does kind of follow that. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. It's um like I say, it's it's not a bad story by any means, but it's very much um kind of I guess standard phantom fare, but good standard stuff. Like it's an enjoyable mm. read. So we'll move on then. So we'll go on to uh, issues six. Uh, sorry, five. Um, how long is this? Five and six is it's return the, of the yep. Uh, return of the return of the Eastern Dark. It's called. So it's tackling that specific part of Bengala that no one knows much about, and I believe that. Are these guys returning villains? Um, I'm trying to find their name. They maybe not. But we have set. This is very much a jungle-based story. This one, which is um, quite nice. So we have some sort of jungle-based villains coming into Banga, uh, into Maui Tan and taking people hostage for a as-of-yet-unknown purpose. Um, so, oh yes, it's the same villains from the original Guardians of the Eastern Dark story. I'm an idiot. I should have picked up on that. <laughs> that believed in the, um, the, the terror god, Zal, 
who, of course, the Phantom destroyed his statue. So they've come back to wreak revenge. Um, it's quite a good story. It's nice to have these little nods back to previous Phantom uh, stories of Lee Fawkes. Um, do you remember reading this one at all, Jermaine? I do. Um, look, so I read them all recently when we were planning on doing this, but I don't know. Um, my majority of these stories in this era, in this second part, I didn't really, didn't really do it for me. Yep. I enjoyed probably the the last, like the the Hammer part, the Hammer series. Mhm. Um, but you know, some of these other ones, you know, they're good stories, but they're not they're not amongst my favourites, or they're not ones that I will rush out and read again. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, um, issue seven is another uh, single issue story called International Waters. Um, uh, we have another new artist by the name of Fernando Panici. Um, his artwork is very, uh, how would I describe it? Very superhero-like. Everyone's huge and muscle-bound and, um, you know, the, there's very dramatic angles and all that sort of thing. Um, basically, it's about the Phantom taking on a group of people smugglers in the middle of the ocean. So, you know, it's all a bit of fun. The cover art, the the alternative and the original for this one, is re- are probably some of, my fa- some of my favourites of this series. Mm-hmm. Even with the blood-splattering teeth. Yeah, and, you know, I, I, this, one wasn't, this one wasn't a bad story. No, this, this was a good, fun story. So th- this one's worth checking out. Um, but we'll quickly move on to issue eight, which uh, is Godfall part one. So this is dealing with him again. Remember when we were talking about it before, we said that a lot of his followers view him as a god. So this is picking up on uh, tales left by the previous series. Um, so we're back with um, Sylvester doing the artwork. It, again, this is quite a nice two-parter. Um, you have the Phantom doing some of his great stealthily taken out bad guys stuff. Um, there's a few shootouts. It's 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 quite nice. Now the cover for issue nine, the regular one, I think is beautiful. It's um, the Phantom standing next to a brazier holding a um, flame torch um, with you know a skull in the background. It, it's really really nice. I love that cover. Um, so as the story goes on, we see, you know, what him's been doing, what he's been up to since the previous stories. Um, the Phantom infiltrates his headquarters, and then it continues on to issue 10, where he comes face-to-face with some of the poor children that him has mind-washed. Um, we find out that the Eastern Dark guys were actually working with him as well, and that him has successfully converted a lot of Bengala's children to his cause. Then we move on to uh, issue 11. We have the Phantom basically in a giant, I guess you'd call it arena, being prepared for a fight to the death with some unimaginable monster. And as him... Uh, relates how he set all of this up, working with the Guardians, or the villains of the Guardians of the Eastern Dark, 
uh, storyline, how he managed to capture so many children. Um, it is revealed that... Is it this issue? Yes, it is revealed that the horror that the Phantom is to face is... And this is one of the stupidest things I think I've ever seen and completely ruined the story for me, is a giant polar bear. <laughs> In the middle of Bengala, a polar bear. Yeah. I'm sorry, Mike Bullock. I loved your stories, but this was just dumb. I, I, this really ruined it for me. I just thought, why the hell, of all the animals you could possibly choose, why a polar bear? I wonder if it was a polar bear or whether it was a bear, and then they just kind of, you know, forgot it was an, the artist or the inkist or the colorist, forgot that it was in Africa, and, you know, went for a white bear instead of a... I don't know. It's white. It's a polar bear. Yeah. Come on. They would have picked that up in editing, surely. <sighs> and then the Phantom defeats him by putting him to sleep. But it's it's not even much of an action scene. It's just kind of dumb. The whole thing's just kind of dumb. And then we find out that somehow, completely under the Phantom's nose, him has kidnapped Kitten Heloise. It's just... The leaps in logic and the, we're just... Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I really enjoyed what Mike Bullock done and we'll talk about, you know, specific incidents and specific topics later on. <coughs> Excuse me. In the, in the thread, but this is one of the, this is one, personally one of the bugbears that I have with, um, comic stories in the main, in mainstream like Marvel, DC, etc is they just rehash the same guy over and over and the stories become non-relevant and become stupid. Like, you know, how many times does Batman have to defeat Joker? You know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I think I enjoyed having him and all that back at the end of issue 26, you know, of the first series. But and I, I think we... I think... You know, maybe from from my opinion, from someone who, you know, who praised one of the best things about Lee Fork was the fact that he kept coming up with new villains. Um, was the you know that I think maybe he had run his course. Yeah. Yeah, I remember when I re- originally read it and I saw that it was actually him behind all of this stuff, and I thought, oh yeah, that's that's really cool, we've got this guy coming back, and he set all this stuff up, he really wants to take out the Phantom, and yeah, I, I completely understand what you're saying about villains coming back, but I thought the way that they had revealed it was him worked, um, but then all the consequent stuff after that just completely ruined the story for me, so I was prepared to read another story with him being the villain, but because he had come back, the stakes really needed to be raised, and I just felt with the polar bear and with Kitten Heloise, it just made it more laughable than anything else. I felt it was a really, it was a real shame, a real letdown to the end of end of the series, end of Moonstone's ongoing run. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're saying, but you know, like I said, we'll get into it a little bit more later on. But um, I think you know. We, you know, we've highlighted a lot of the negatives, but I think the positives far outweigh the you know, oh, the yeah. negatives. Yeah, by f- yeah, easily. The the things that they tried to do with the um, making note of 
the true horrors that are happening in, happening in Africa, raising money for um, the child, the Invisible Children Foundation, and as we get into some of the other um, series as well, the experimentation that Moonstone did was was fantastic. Mm. And Mike did write some really good stuff. Just maybe because they knew the license was running out, they needed to hurry up and get the thing done. I'm not, you know, I'm not sure. But it, those last couple of issues really felt to me like they kind of lost their way. Right, folks, that'll do us for part one. Make sure you come back in the next few days to check out part two.